Hello, everyone. My name is Joanne Lockwood, and I'm your host for the Inclusion Bytes podcast. In this series, I have interviewed a number of amazing people and simply had a conversation about the subject of inclusion, belonging, and generally making the world a better place for everyone to thrive. If you'd like to join me in the future, then please do drop me a line to joe.lockwood at cchangehappen.co.uk. That's s-e-changehappen.co.uk. You can catch up with all of the previous shows on iTunes, Spotify, and the usual places. So plug in your headphones, grab a decaf, and let's get going. Today is episode 64 with the title, Do What You Love, Love What You Do. And I have the absolute honour and privilege to welcome Mike Pagan. Mike described himself as a skilled communicator, non-exec director, facilitator, Plus, he likes a bit of swimming and other random weekend warrior activities. When I asked Mike to describe his superpower, he said, I have a voice. I am a swimmer, a father, brother, husband, and friend. None of which are superpowers because he doesn't need one. But that's not to say he doesn't have many different types of kryptonite. And no doubt we'll find out about those in a minute. Hello, Mike. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Joanne. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Excited to be in your presence and uh, discussing all the wonders of inclusivity and everything that goes with that. I'm, yes, I'm, 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 yes, I'm buzzing in a good place. Fantastic. I mean, we we caught up with each other in Newport the other week, didn't we? A, a professional speaking association conference, and like anything, we don't get much chance to talk. But I'm going to have an hour with you now, and it's going to be amazing. We're going to get to know each other better. So, welcome aboard. No, thank you for having me. Mike, tell me then, do what you love, What love what you do. Tell me about your, your mantra and your ethos. Well, the simplicity of do what you love and love what you do is, is that whole thing. When we have the right people around us, we can do more of what we love, loving what we do. Uh, when you, we struggle with challenges around isolation and loneliness and support and challenges that, that happen for everybody, be that professional or, or, or personal, uh, then we lose the love and um, our, our mojo goes, our energy drops and, and, and we go off the boil. So a lot, a lot of what I talk about and what my focus is on, uh, I describe as mental wealth. So uh, when we have a positive mental wealth bank balance, then we're able to do more of what we love and love what we do along the way. And that means having more fun, having more enjoyment. And uh, when things go wrong, we, we can be braver and we can bounce back more effectively because we've got good people around us helping us along the way. So that, that, that's in, in, in a simple nutshell-ish. <laughs> I get it. I, honestly, I really get that. I mean, one of the things that I, I changed my entire career, my entire life five years ago. And people say to me, when you think about retiring, I said, I don't need to retire because I do what I love. I have my passion. I want to keep doing what I do for as long as I, as long as I'm physically incapable of doing it. Um, I don't see, I don't describe what I do as work anymore. I describe what I do as, as a passion project, something I enjoy, the people I meet, the conversations I have. I'd like to think I could, I would do this if I was financially independently wealthy. I'd like to think I would continue doing this because it is truly what I love doing. And so I've... And that, therein that. lies that line, isn't it, that says uh, if you're doing what you're passionate about and what your purpose is and, and all those those P's, the positive P's, uh, then funnily enough, you'll never work a day in your life. And and you, you see people that uh, a, 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 a tradesperson who sort of who works with wood and what they create or a potter and, and so on, and they're totally obsessed and in love with that whole thing that they're doing. Um, okay, they might not be buying the next gazillion dollar house and mansion or whatever else, but they are so much happier. And, and that's the thing. So do what you love, love what you're doing. It's also quite a, a privileged statement, isn't it? Not everybody is fortunate enough or has the circumstances in order to do what they love. That they're, they're, they're often, which probably comes into your your your, um, your mental wealth, is how can people still find joy in what they do, even though it maybe isn't their current passion project? Yeah, that and th- therein lies the, uh, uh, the the dead end job, the the glass ceiling, the, um, the that negative environment where the, the boss is a bully, um, and you just. But I still got to pay the mortgage, and I've got to put shoes on my children's feet, and whatever else, and it's and it's just finding that way forward. Uh, 
However, when we get into that environment, uh, uh, and that's obviously in general a negative sphere, uh, when you have better people around you asking better questions of you than you can of yourself, that's where different answers can be uncovered. Um, and obviously, obviously, you have to have an appetite for change, uh, which many people don't, and therefore they sort of get caught in that vortex of uh, of not progressing and not moving. But when we're just that that one person asking the right question on the right day and the right hour and the right weather front, whatever it is, can be absolutely life changing. Um, in, the, in the same way, you can you can be out and about and, and sort of and just find love. Um, bumping into somebody on the street that you've never met before. Well, it, it happens. And I'm not saying we've got to sit there waiting for lightning to strike before we can change our path and so on. That's why you find that proactively supportive people that are there with you. They've got your back rather than just being a name in your uh, phone. Yeah, for sure. And I, I completely agree that that support network is is really, really key because we're greater than the sum of our parts then aren't we we're we become more than it's not one plus one it's one plus five one plus ten we we, we can grow exponentially by having that um just somebody around believing in you some i think sometimes someone tapping at you on the shoulder saying you, you've got this you can do this gives a lot of inspiration to people it's 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 a scary reality because uh just just to go uh sad for a moment but when I, when I was writing my book on mental wealth, um, uh, in that process of doing that, I, I lost a friend to suicide. Um, and he was going through an ugly divorce, uh, estranged from his son as well, and COVID and loneliness and isolation. Now, this was a very intelligent man who knew exactly what he was doing. Um, so I'm not saying that if I had or somebody else had asked the right question or a different question, there could have been a different answer. But it's that reality of when somebody gets into that space of just finding that one person just coming up with a, a different angle, a different light, uh, because clearly the monsters in his head were so loud um, that that's what he was listening to. And I, and I don't claim that story for, for me as a uniqueness, because unfortunately, too many of us, and I know I've listened to your, some of your shows, and you've talked about the, the, the people who've gone in your life, um, and so, so it's it's unfortunately it's an all too familiar tale, mm. but if we if some of those people had had a group of others asking better questions at the right time in the right environment, who knows what solutions or different circumstances could have been manifested by that one question? And that's that's why we, when we proactively seek and understand where our strengths are in our support network, but but to begin with, we have to understand where we currently are and what the baseline is. And sometimes that's actually a lot lower than people realize at first. Yeah. A, a lot of people are, uh, there's this fear of, of showing vulnerability, isn't it? It's the, the fear of losing face that, that pride becomes a, before a fall statement. It's people think the world is so insurmountable because there's this focus on a barrier that they can't pass. And it's so sad. I mean, you, you said one of my, I, I've had, I think, I think I worked out that at least, I know at least three people have taken their life through suicide. Plus my brother who did something rather stupid. Um, so he ended up taking his life, but I don't think it was deliberate. Uh, so yeah, it's, and one of those people, the crux of his pain was failing his business. He thought he was never going to recover it. Yeah. People going to, the, the, the receivers were going to come in and shut him down. And after he, his death, all of his friends rallied around his wife and resolved all of the problems that he had. Mm. And it's just so often true that you could, everything can be fixed or changed, but sometimes asking for that help or being, or people even spotting you need that help. It's a real challenge. And uh, one of the other things we do in that environment, we, we invest our energy potentially in the wrong people or people that are not fit for purpose for the way forward. So a, a classic thing that I'll do with the, um, clients, uh, large and small and so on, is I will ask them to uh, just start to create what I refer to as a, a mental wealth scorecard. And it's just writing down a list of all the people in your support network that you currently have. 
Um, and it, it varies. Some people will be able to write four names down. Some will be able to write 45 names down, whatever. But just jot down the name. Uh, I mean, I know in my wife's list that she has the dentist. And that's not because she's having an affair with him. Uh, it's just because she's so paranoid about her teeth and what goes wrong. And she's a, she's not a good dental patient. And every time we go on holiday or the dentist goes on holiday, the hour before or the day before, there's always a problem. There's always a crisis. So she, she doesn't quite have his number on speed dial, but it's certainly, yeah, uh, it's there. But so it's, we, when we start listing these people in our support network, and then, then this is a, this is non-scientific. So for anybody who's sitting there thinking, oh, I want some sort of academic referencing and everything else attached to this. No, you're not getting that. This is gut feel, totally subjective. I want you to now score those people on a, on a scale of one to 10. Yeah, so where one is a low score, 10 is a high score. And people are just putting down these names. It, it could be sort of contacts, friends, whatever it is that they are in there. And, and then the, the scoring is the real point here. Don't give somebody a higher score because you think they deserve it. Uh, give them an honest score of how committed are they in your support network. And, and that, that's it. Don't, because you're not going to show this to them. So it doesn't matter what, what number it is. So if somebody scores a one, two or a three, they know you. They're an acquaintance. Full stop. Yeah, that, that's it. Right. There's, don't, there's, there's no other elements there that we need to go in and debate or discuss. They know who you are. You know who they are. That's about the length of it. Uh, so just carry on. Your fours and fives, they know you because of a reason. Could be part of a community you're involved, could be part of the school, sports, whatever it is. But if you didn't turn up for two months, they won't pick up the phone to ring you and say, how's it going, Mike? Where have you been? Whatever else. Um, uh, and then you turn up and you say, Where, uh, well, I've, I've been away because I broke my leg. Um, oh, really? Didn't know that. Oh, you, you don't need him to be limping too much. Either way, so they're, they're an acquaintance. Then you've got your fives and your sixes. Sorry, sorry you, that was fours and fives. Sixes and sevens. Now, sixes and sevens, some of these will be your best friends. So you've, you've known them for years. You go to parties with you. You've, you've even been on holiday with them, whatever it is. And, and you see them regularly or you don't see them regularly, but the, you, you've got real history there or you've got real appetite. However, you're not going to show them your vulnerability. You're not going to ask them for professional financial advice, support or insights. You're not going to be uh, financially vulnerable, naked and, and, and uh, open to them. Those are your eight, nines and tens. And when it comes to your mental wealth scorecard that I focus in on here, it's only your eight, nines and tens that matter. And those are the ones, and we add those up. So if you've got three eights, that means you've got a total score of 24. If you've got nobody scoring eight, nine, or 10, that's fine. That's a baseline. That's a starting point. We realize that you haven't got people proactively got your back in that network, in which case, fine, we, we need to start building. And then we go into ways of helping them build and support. But it's just that reality. And it's there's a particular um, speaker, friend, colleague, uh, when I did this with her, she went through the list and she realized that categorically she had nobody that she could score an eight, nine or a 10. She was giving, she was supporting, she was doing everything for everybody else, but nobody in her support network truly had her back. And it was, and it was a, said, said to me, Mike, absolutely, this is an epiphany. Because I realise I'm, I'm completely out of balance. Um, I haven't got what I need. Um, and it was just that changing her whole approach and focus to uh, being, being a bit more selfish, uh, whatever words we want to do. But the reality was, right, let's start building it. And, and when you get to that point of uh, proactively building a mental wealth team, you'll have anything between five and 15 people that score eight, nines and tens. Um, and we, 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 I'm sure we'll discuss more of that in a moment, but it's, it's just that initial baseline reality when you know and understand how your current support network is set up and whether it's actually fit for purpose for what's coming ahead rather than being fit for purpose for where we were two years ago, five years ago, whatever else, because time has moved forward and will continue to every day. I'm going to give you another wow there because as you're talking now, I'm having a similar light bulb moment. I didn't, I wouldn't necessarily have put it in the language you used it, but I recognized some while ago that I had a lot of acquaintances. I had a lot of mm -hmm. people 
I was like the puppy dog. I wanted to impress them because I thought if I impress them, I get favours back. But the reality was I maybe got a, a dog treat occasionally, but I wasn't getting a proactive engagement back again. And someone said to me, you gave me the phrase a couple of years ago, hang around with radiators, not drained. And I realised that there were a number of people, a lot of people in my life were sapping me of, of my life force, of my energy. They were people I was having to invest all my effort in, keep the relationship alive. And if I didn't spin the plate, the plate, the plate came crashing down, they would never call me. They'd never know if I was interesting or not. I'd be sort of trying to arrange meetings or trying to get nights out. They'd never reply, or if they did, they'd cancel. And I, I realized a few years ago that that part of my life, I, I, if I didn't call them, I wouldn't miss them because it was just sucking yeah. my energy. I now realize that I need to hang around with people who care as much about me as I do about them. They'll text me if I'm okay. We'll, we'll chat about okay stuff, you know, mental health. Are you, are you feeling great? How can I help? Real genuine conversations. And so, yeah, exactly what you're saying. I've got, I've got a maybe a couple of nines and tens, eight nines and tens, not a huge amount, but I think I've offset it by getting rid of a lot of the sixes and belows, the people that are actually distracting my life or putting me in a situation I didn't really want to be in all the time. It's, it's the, the reality check here is I'm not suggesting that people dump friendships um, and say, I can't be your friend anymore because you're not committed to me enough. Uh, it's, it's, it's just in the, in the mind's eye, it's dumping your mental um, anchorage to them mm. so that you're actually realising, okay, th- this is a one-way relationship most of the time. Um, and I'm sort of, I've got greater expectations of this relationship or this friendship that is willing to come from the other party. So it's time to just uh, accept the fact that they um, are 1.0 and I need a 2.0. I need a 3.0, whatever it is, I need to upgrade. Um, and I'll, yes, we'll still be friends and we'll still get on and everything else. But my yeah. my my personal uh, necessity or demands of that friendship are now being recalibrated to the fact that it is more potentially uh, superficial is too harsh, but it's 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 uh, my expectations mm. are becoming uh, far more in check of what is realistic rather than me constantly being disappointed um, that uh, oh, he never pulls through or he never uh, follows up or she's always busy and lets me down at the last minute. Okay, that that's a one way relationship. In which case, as long as you know that's the case then you have freedom to make choices to then invest in or seek out the positive setup mm. that's actually going to help you go forward. Yeah. I, I probably, I would use the phrase drift away, not dump. Because if yeah. I don't, if I don't make the phone call, the relationship doesn't, doesn't exist. If you like, so I'm not yeah. dumping anybody. I'm just not putting the effort into keeping the balloon in the air anymore. I just, it just drifts off. Um, and I, I've also recognised I, I have a number of associates, contacts, friends, business professionals, whoever, whichever category they fall into. They, they often start a, a conversation after several months going, it seems, it's, I know it's a bit cheeky, but can you out of the blue help me with something? It's like, okay, so I'm now there to help. I'm not – or, or they, they beat around the bush for 20 minutes and then say, oh, while I'm on the call, can I just – it's like, oh, yeah, I thought, I thought that was coming. Why would you phone otherwise? So it's also <laughs> recognizing those that, that, that EQ, if you like, emotional intelligence to understand the game that's being played around you and how oh, people I've, see you. I've got one of the chaps local to me, and he, he rings me out of the blue. Um, and he only works literally 200 meters from from my offices. Um, and we've known each other for multiple years, and we have a good sociable time when we go out and have a drink and a beer or whatever it is, play, play sports occasionally. But he's he's probably a six. He's, he's more than a five, but he's certainly not a seven. Um, and he, he'll ring up and say, now, Mike, I've got a meeting I'm just about to get on to in, on Teams. Uh, and you know me, I, 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 I'm not very good at that. And I'm thinking, really? If I'm the best you've got to talk to about IT, you really are struggling because <laughs> it, it's not my forte. So please don't start ringing me uh, afterwards about Teams queries. Uh, I'd be ringing you, Joanne. That's uh, certainly how that works. Yeah. But it, it's just that reality of, of knowing that is um, 
it's a it's a one way relationship. Um, as and as much fun as it is when you're out and about and and everything from that point of view, that's great. I just I'm, my expectations are in check, and therefore I'm not offended, disappointed, or uh, grumpy because other things aren't happening. And it's and it's and it's knowing that. And then when we take it a step further and look at certain pr- people that we need with specific skill sets in our lives. Um, and, and those are, are, are the, then when they're committed to us and helping us along the way, then they can get really quite brutal, um, which is what we need from time to time when we get to understand our self-sabotage tactics and habits and everything else like that. Because uh, if somebody who was a, a lower score in this environment started giving you honest feedback on some of your perceived sabotage tactics that you have for yourself, well, okay. Uh, I can hear what you're saying there, but A, you're not close enough and I haven't given you permission to give me that sort of feedback. And B, what do you know anyway? Because you don't know me well enough. Actually, I really love doing that and it works. Um, so it's it, there's, there's, a, there's a two-way street there as well. Yeah, I. sorry, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just chuckling out loud there because I... I actually don't, don't apologize for chuckling no, no. out loud. That's good. I, I, have, <laughs> I, have a, I have some business advisors and various aspects of my business and... I I was talking to one of them the other week and it became clear that they really didn't get me at all, even though I thought they really did. They they made they made a couple of statements and sort of sort of implied that oh I wouldn't do I wouldn't want to do that or that's not how you want to act, is it? Went, no, no, you completely misunderstood my raison d'etre. That's exactly what I see as core to what I need. And it's it's called into question my whole sort of relationship, whether that person is a good advisor, because even though I'm paying them, uh, they they obviously missed a key element of who I am or what, what my objectives are. So yeah, I mean, think about now. Yeah, but the other thing I realised was, yeah, I, I went through my gender transition five or six years ago. I, 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 there was a point there when I stopped phoning a lot of people. A lot of people stopped phoning me, and what I realised was that my my, my number ten, my, my my top ten person, hundred percent ten, was my wife. And what I've yeah. been doing is I've been neglecting her as a 10 in her life for 20, 30 years. It was only that realisation that I had everything I needed in, in my support network sitting next to me 24 by 7 that made me realise that I actually didn't need to seek gratification from the world. I had it. And I think that was the epiphany that we both had, if you like, that we became soulmates. Greater yeah, than we'd ever be. who your rock is. Absolutely, yeah. the strength. Just just to add to that one on on family, because I know in in my world, my sister would score me a twelve out of ten, okay. um, as as far as in in her support network. Uh, but for me, she would score a seven, uh, and that so it doesn't have to be symbiotic no. here. Uh, it, it's down to what is right for what you need going forward, uh, and the relationships there, uh, and that sort of we can go into all sorts of rigmaroles as to wise and whatever else. I mean, I love her dearly as my sister, but I, I don't seek her counsel uh, and, 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 and working that way through, but she does mine. And it's, it's mm-hmm. understanding how that works. Cause, cause a lot, a lot of this uh, uh, learning for me came from, um, I, I was working with professional and elite sportsmen and women transitioning to their careers after sport. And, uh, um, we were asking a lot of the questions and understanding uh, through, through support networks and everything else that we're putting together. And the reality check for these guys were they had 35 people keeping them on the pitch, in the pool, uh, on the track or whatever yesterday. And the guillotine comes down today and all of those people are not fit for purpose for their way forward. Um, and, and they're gone. Uh, so now the, what, is, what is their raison d'etre? Who are they? What's their purpose? They want a portfolio career. All of these things are going on and challenging. And that just that switch of what we've got yesterday to now they have to proactively build that new team that's going to build with them over the next three, five, 10, 15 years. And it's, and and when I realized that uh, this transition space happens for all of us, I mean, clearly you, you've gone through your huge transition in the last five, six years. Uh, but in the same way as uh, one of my daughters starting off at university went through that transition from schoolgirl to uh, student um, and then going. So we are transitioning at multiple points throughout our lives. And, and, and as we transition, 
we need the next version of certain friendships, of certain professional relationships. And it's, and it's letting the, the ones drift that need to drift um, and then proactively and intentionally recruiting other people into that network going forward so that we can make braver decisions, have more fun along the way. Because remember, this all comes back to do what you love and love what you're doing. Uh, if, if you've got the people around you that are pr- not so much praising and stroking you, because that just makes you sound needy, but that they're, they're helping, they're motivating, they're uncovering um, your, your strengths that you can go further with, then as a result of that, we achieve more and we have more fun along the way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we were chatting before I pressed the record button around benefits from being, being a member of a, an association or mastermind group or other other things. And, and this is exactly what you're talking about here. It's it's filling your your sevens and eights or your sixes and sevens of people who are around you, not necessarily your tens, but having a, a good, solid crew of people who are there for you, will listen to you, can advise you, nurture you. And maybe some of them will upgrade themselves. Uh, they've been mm-hmm. candidates to become a 10, but there's nothing wrong with having a whole group of people in that sort of ready to elevate position that will step in when you need them. And I think if you're not careful, well, look, I, you I, know, I know I've got people, sorry, I've, I know I've got people that are sixes and sevens that I'd love to be higher up the, the pecking order, but they're not committed to me. Yeah. So, so I, I've got two, two options there. One is I can put in loads and loads of effort of trying to make them love me more then I, I appear needy and wanting or I can flip it the other way and say okay well I'm not fit for purpose I'm not what that's looking or it's not there it's not on their raison d'etre they're like fine there's, there's a thousand and one reasons and my choice is to either um get weighed down by that or to move forward and and, and we can't include everybody on this journey we uh, my, my, my late mother-in-law always said that if you can count your best friends on more than one hand, you're kidding yourself. That's and yeah, that was her I simple concur. reality. Yeah, I concur. Yeah, I'd rather have three or four that will. Totally. The way I would describe it is, if I was standing upright and I fell backwards, who would be there to catch me without even without without a question? Who's got my back ultimately? That, that those are the kind of people, and there's three or four, if that. And it's yeah, but those three or four are there, and you know they're there. You don't, you don't have to look over your shoulder when you're falling. You know they're going to be there for you. Well, a, a story I give you there of people having your back, and it's a uh, I, last year my one of my son's friends uh, fortunately was unsuccessful in a, a, a suicide attempt, um, and the morning afterwards I had a phone call. It's around about eleven o'clock in the morning, and it was from one of my best friends who lives in uh, America. And he's the, the head of an A&E out there. Um, and he just rang out of the blue. We talk two or three times a year. Uh, and I said, Bok, bef- before we start, why have you rung? And he was sort of, oh, well, just ringing for chat. No, no, why have you rung me now at this particular moment in time? For what reason have you picked up the phone and decided I need to ring Mikey and have a catch up? And we, we just went round and round circles for about five minutes and we couldn't come up with a reason apart from Gutfield told him to pick up the phone. He was ringing at half past five in the morning, US time, on his way home from a night shift. And for whatever reason, I came into his mind's eye and he rang me on the way back. I was able to talk to him about what this particular young man had taken, what he'd been doing, and get the whole medical insight into what was going on with this situation that happened overnight. And as a result of that, I was then able to go back to the parents of this young lad and give them a different perspective that they weren't getting from uh, the people they were talking to. Um, And the insights were so helpful and so real and everything else. And it's it's that whole point of you you, you talk there about sort of when when you fall, your besties catch you. Well, I I had this, this is thousands of miles apart. Intuitively, he picked up the phone and rang me. And as a result, it just it, it, it helped so many people. And including that, it, it helped uh, my son as well, because clearly he had uh, many challenges of survivor guilt and all sorts of other things attached to that as to what was going on. Could he have said something? Was it his fault? All of these things, which are the, 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 the young man's peer group all went through. Uh, but that's that's where the power comes in. When you've got the right people that you invest in and you, and you support with, then you don't have to ask. 
it happens. Yeah, I mean, male suicides are you know, all time high. We talked about suicide earlier. Are men good at asking for help? Is that is that part of the problem? Too much pride. Human beings are no good at asking for help. Um, clearly, yes, I know the, the, the male rate is higher than the female rate, uh, but the, the reality is uh, asking for help is still perceived as a sign of weakness, um, and it isn't. Um, not knowing the answers, being being afraid of being seen, good old imposter syndromes, I'm not good enough, everything else. But the, you, you talked about the drains. I've, I, for years, have used the terminology mood hoovers, as many people have. And it, it, these, are, but that little voice in your head uh, that sort of just keeps on going at you and sort of tells you you're no good, not worthy, all the cantras and stuff like. That. Other when you've got the positive people around you that you have intentionally selected, then they will work with you and they will lift you. And uh, throughout your life, those people do need a refresh because um, they're not always going to be there. But you've got your uh, people. Uh, what's it? Uh, reason, season, or life. You got yeah, so certain people are there for a reason, yeah, because you, you, I know you've had a health issue, so they're, they're, they're a doctor or they're associated with that. There's a season, so the school years, uh, the, the the sporting years, the association years, whatever it is. But then you've got the lifers, and those are the ones that you haven't seen them for six months, twelve months, two years through through COVID. You haven't managed to catch up, but then you meet up again, and it's like you were in the same room yesterday, and away you go again. And, that, and that's just friendships. When, when it comes to our professional support network, the mental wealth team, yeah, it's it's there are people in there that yeah, they especially in the professional sector uh, that ask far more potent questions than you will because in the professional sector, so accountants, um, uh, solicitors, and wealth management, uh, that they're, they're devoid of that emotional connection to the thing that you're trying to create, and they will turn around and, and cut through the the nonsense you've been sold uh, i mean for, for me in the noughties i did uh, quite a lot of property investing um some that uh, went well and some that went spectacularly li, 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 wrong um and had i spent a few hundred on independent legal advice i would have saved myself six figures and some of costs over 15 years but I do now have a property in Cyprus that's worth a quarter of what I paid for it 15 years after I put the original deposit down the list I've yes I'm one of those muppets um no it's not I, I if I looked at the brochure again now um I would still look at it and say yeah that, that's quite good the way it's set up but the reality behind it was so not there and that a pro professional team that I didn't have in those days would have asked me better questions, would have pulled the thing apart and would have come out with that beautiful phrase, run, forest, run. And I would have, because that's the point. You pay for independent advice so that you you learn it. You, you learn from them because you don't want to read the 47 pages or the 447 pages of small print that are all written in their favour, not yours. And when it all goes wrong, which it does, um, you you get royally messed up. Yeah, I've I've been through the business school of life. I've made some well learning. I've had some significant learning exercises in my life. I've I've had companies go bust on me, owing me over hundred k. I've made tax planning decisions that went badly wrong and yeah so i've 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 got a whole portfolio of life skills that i've uh, i've i've acquired <laughs> through uh through trying things and looking back on it yeah i suppose some of it comes down to what you're just saying having the right advisor having the right support network would have potentially ha- headed those things off but then yeah. you can't you can't wish and, and want it, it just is and yeah i'll probably make similar mistakes again but hopefully never the same ones <laughs> But, but but if you've got the right people around you that you're asking questions of, uh, so a classic example uh, recently with, with my wealth manager, um, who's, who's who has become a personal friend as well, um, or no, he's a friend first and then then working with. But long story short, um, I, I'm I'm north of twenty one, um, and because uh, I, I have to say that because it's a podcast, see, they can't see how youthful I am, not, um, but it, it's. It, it, 
the question of critical health cover and life cover came up. And uh, I don't, and I was investigating critical health and so on. And I said, okay, can you, can you look into this for me then? To which he did. And a few days later came back with three suggestions. Um, and, and to which I then responded with, oh, and what about this other one um, that, that uh, I've, I've, I've been talking to because they've been chatting to? And he came back to me with this simple message saying, I know this person who says, trust your professional network because they know more than you do. And they do the research and they come up with advice that's right for you because they know you and they respect you and they understand your nuances and how it works. The company you're referring to there was not on my list because it's not in my top three. Whose advice are you going to take? So it was very tongue in cheek, totally barbed. Um, but it was just a reality check. If you're paying for that support and advice, why are you second guessing it and trying to come up with other stuff? Take the advice, go with it, because that's what you're doing. And obviously, if you trust and respect and it works, then the, that advice 99 times out of 100 will come out right. That's the point. Take the advice, go with it. So I did. And I got back in my box and I shut up. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's key when we're working with our teams, our staff, our support networks. If you try and micromanage everyone or question everybody, why do you employ people if you don't trust them Yeah, at the end of the day? I, I, yeah. I often say to people when they're saying, what do you think of this? I say, I'm going to go with you. Yeah, you've you suggested that. I've got a couple of tweaks, but fundamentally, I'm not here to argue with you. My opinion is just mm. my opinion. You, I trust you. Let's go with you. Let's go with your plan A. If plan your plan A doesn't work, let's tweak it later. But I think in order to empower people and give people that sense of belonging within your organisation, you have to you have to have to let them be creative and let them come up with the ideas. Otherwise, what's the point in being a leader? What you end up doing is is making all the decisions, and that's not the role of a leader. The role of a leader is to empower people to drive it forward, and you're just there to set direction and strategy. Absolutely, and that and that, that links directly into that whole world of self care, which mm. is one of those priority parts of uh, where I focus on this mental wealth team. When we when we hone in on our self care, then there's a lot of things that we can do um, that uh, will. Im- improve that some of which we can take control of and responsibility and make happen but a lot of the time we don't again we don't have all the answers so we need to bring in experts whether it be in nutrition and alcohol and drugs and whatever but also in what we're doing in in other areas like meditation and mindfulness and all these okay it's it's not woo woo nowadays because people realize it does work but i've for me i've always said i can't do meditation and mindfulness because i can't sit still for long enough or i fall asleep which, but then um, over the years, I, as, as mentioned yeah, in, in the introduction, I'm, I'm a swimmer. Um, I uh, Several years ago with a team of others, we were the fastest men's full relay team to swim the English Channel in 2015. So, so, so some crazy, stupid stuff. Um, I did a relay, not a solo. So I'm mad, not what I, I can never quite work out which way. But it, in that process, though, I realized that I was actively or uh, consistently taking on what I refer to as active mindfulness. So uh, when you're doing endurance activities or repetitive activities, uh, where it's stroke after stroke, step after step, uh, rotation on a bike or whatever it is, you're doing this long-term cumulative activity. Uh, when We then tune out through that process. So when I get out of a river, a lake or out of the sea after having a swim, my brain is sharp. My, it's, it's fresh. I've had these sort of little messages popping in whilst you're swimming along and because and, uh, you, you're getting into good old flow state. Uh, you're getting into different environments. But, and, and that works for me. And so it's, it's things like that that help me achieve stuff because uh, as a result of my activities. But, it, it's, but you have to do that in a way that works for you. I've, I've always jokingly referred to myself as number six in my family. So that's wife, three kids, and a dog. And over Christmas time, we had eight puppies as well. So I was number 14. Um, but the, the reality check is I have to be number one so that I'm fit for purpose to look after those guys or to help or to support because they're, they're, they're young adults now. So it's not a question of uh, uh, potty time or anything ugly like that, which we can all just about remember when that happened. But that reality of, okay, so if I'm going to be fit for purpose for them, then I've got to be, in my mind's eye or my way of working, 
mentally and physically healthy uh, through what I do and how I work. That means doing my swimming. So I, I'll get up on a Sunday morning and go and do early morning swims, which to some people, to, to old Mikey, going back years ago, would have been, no, you, why would you do that? Because you've got to go out and party and really uh, have too many drinks on a Saturday night and everything else. Uh, believe me, swimming in a lake, burping up Rioja or Malbec is not nice. Um, so it's it's so things like that where you're looking after your self care by default. I'm drinking less, which therefore means default. You're you're getting healthier, which means uh, you're returning home at nine thirty on a Sunday morning with fresh bread from wherever, uh, and suddenly the family all love you as well because you didn't disturb any of them and you brought them fresh bread and they're smiling. Result. <laughs> Yeah, I can relate to the uh, burping up Ryoko or Melbeck on a on a Sunday morning. Uh, maybe not swimming, but yeah, certainly remember those uh, cloudy head days. That I'm, I'm actually pleased I I stopped drinking 134 days ago. Uh, I've got an app that yeah. tells me that. Um, <laughs> Just keep doing. Well done. Another day gone. Yeah, I, and I've realised that it's created more space in my head mm-hmm. to think about stuff. I'm not. I, I'm not spending half my life recovering from a hangover or trying to create one. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a different reality. And I'm spending more time, as you say, doing this repetitive fitness stuff on a treadmill, on a, 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 a elliptical cross-trainer type thing, or a bike, or even walking up the hill I, was, I started doing again. And yes. I, I remember I, I wrote an entire blog article while I was swimming 1,500 meters. So I was just doing it. And in my head, I wrote the blog article. I got out of the pool, sat in the cafe on my phone, and just dumped the blog article I'd written while I was swimming straight onto, yeah. into, into the machine. And I find I do that a lot. I, I'm not one to have the radio on or noise in the background. For me, I just want that nothingness around me. And if I'm concentrating on something, it's great. But if I stop working... I'm now drifting off into this other world of quiet where I could start self-healing, thinking, wandering. And my wife will often come over to me and she says, what are you thinking about? Uh, nothing. And she said, what do you mean? You think about nothing. I was just, my mind was clear and I was waiting for something to happen in there and just arrive as a thought. But until it did, I was happy just not thinking about anything in particular. I think my response there would have been nothing to report or empty head. Both are great. Mm. And it's, I, I think one of the things I've learned over the last five or six years is the peace you can have in your head when you let when you when you've got no baggage, no, no secrets, no no agendas, no nothing. You you really have one voice, which I I found is incredibly incredibly empowering to have this one thought or or an absence of any noise to allow you to just clear things. And that's for me that, that's an epiphany if you like to get to that point. Well, having having the surname of Pagan, it wouldn't surprise you that I'm not a practicing religious person. But uh, if if I was to follow a religion, the only one I would consider would be Buddhism. Um, mm. And the one I enjoy in there is that that whole Zen space. And for for me, that uh, definition of success of not looking over your shoulder um, for something that you've missed or what if or, or just because you're content in the moment. Um, and, and that only happens when you allow yourself the time. Um, and uh, when, talking about alcohol, I, I did some research. So like, a few years ago, I gave up alcohol for about four months. Um, and it was just a personal journey like you're doing at the moment. So a reflection of why um, the, was the dependency or was it just habitual? How much you're consuming? How does it work? Um, are you a selfish dad because you don't want to drive at two o'clock in the morning to pick up one of your beautiful young daughters from the middle of Coventry, uh, having stumbled out of a nightclub or they should be getting into an Uber. You think, yeah, so, but that, but that's interfering with my drinking. How could they possibly want me to do that? Um, and it's it, it areas like that. And I, I did the research and I, I worked out conservatively. Uh, I would donate 15 hours a week to the God of alcohol. So that's cumulatively throughout the week. I mean, that could be higher, it could be lower. And and for anybody listening to this that isn't a drinker, let's let's, uh, take the word alcohol out there and replace it with TikTok videos, replace it with uh, um, box sets, replace it with Netflix, replace it with all these things that hemorrhage and use up your time, energy and effort. So 15 hours a week, if the average working day is seven and a half hours, that's two working days a week you're donating to the God of alcohol, and that's excluding hangovers. And that's 100 days a year. 
So 100 days a year, you're donating to the God of alcohol. Um, and, and so I'm not saying here everybody has to give up alcohol. They have to give up TikTok or whatever it is. It's just the reality check that if you want a guilt-free fortnight's holiday, you only have to reduce your those addictions by 10% because that will get you 10 working days back, which is the amount of time two weeks on holiday would be. Now, I realize certain people turn around and say, oh, I do a 900-hour week because I'm sort of committed to the cause. Well, we need to have a different conversation with you about different things. But it's that reality of where we are hemorrhaging time, energy and effort because we don't have any time. But then we've got a coach who's turning around, seeing these ill-serving habits and saying, uh, what what are you doing? Where's that going? Where's all that effort happening? The reality check turns around and says, "Okay, I'm 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 uh, I'm my own worst enemy here. I need somebody holding me true to what I say I should be doing. And as a result of that, I will step up and achieve more changes our game. Love it. Love it. I was, as you're, as you're talking, I was just reflecting on something that happened yesterday. I had a bit of a quiet start. I went to the nail bar, had my nails done. Like I like to do on a Monday morning. It's a good start to the week. Just again, one thing, good thing about going to a nail bar, if you've ever never been to one, Mike, is that you can't do much with your hands because someone has got no. control of them. So you can't play with your phone. But my nail technician tends to have very kind of, elevator type music on the back of a very soft very uh acoustic type remixes it's very very calming and i, I find that asleep. two hours <laughs> yeah that those, those two hours of having my nails done is a great time to just have a conversation with someone just chill out do nothing and she did my eyebrows afterwards and again i find having your eyebrows waxed equally quite kind of therapeutic just again you can't do anything you just gotta lie there and enjoy it and I came back from that. I just I, I text, text, sent my wife a text saying, "Do you fancy just nipping to the down to the seafront? We'll grab a we'll grab a salad from the the cafe down there, and we're just going to park up with the roof down on the car and just chill out by the water for an hour and have our lunch." She went, "Yeah," and we did that. We came back, and I just felt so energized. And by shifting my entire work life balance, and and my wife now she works with me, it allows us to have these freedom moments where we say, "I've got two hours in my schedule." Let's do something different with it. Let's just enjoy that rather than having to have, having, having to have a two-week holiday. I can have a two-hour mini break and well, just the, the, enjoy the next life. four hours that you were back in the office, you achieved more in those four oh, hours than you yeah. probably would have if you'd been there all day. Yeah. I actually said to my wife last night, I said, I wish I didn't take this two hours out of the day because the next four hours got really hectic. But then those next four hours, they were, they were instantly productive because I had the focus to do them. Yeah. This, this, this all feeds into uh, the first book I wrote was called Faf, which is sort of the, uh, and the, the subtitle was The False Art of Feeling Fulfilled. And it was all to do with faffing about and the, the, this, the self uh, sabotage habits and challenges we have and how we can change it. And, but it's, it's also recognizing where we hemorrhage it. Um, and it, it's just that reality of, of knowing. I, I can make that I'm in control here. I have a choice. Um, and, and it's knowing where we work best as well. I mean, there, there are people listening to this who are probably part of that 5am club, 20 minutes meditation, 20 minutes planning and 20 minutes exercise. Uh, now, I, I haven't got a problem with getting up early, but then there's early. Uh, so if it's got a five at the front of it, I better be going on a, uh, to an airport to go somewhere nice. Um, I don't, I, it's not a daily cho- choice, but I'm still up early. Now, there's other people who categorically are not uh, positive and um, good morning people, but they're night owls and they, they absolutely crunch. Well, if that's what works, then go for it. We don't have to be in this world we're in nowadays, going through uh, years of lockdowns and understanding that uh, judge me on my performance. The fact that I happen to be working different hours to you doesn't mean to say I'm not working. Um, and it's getting that balance of what we do that works for us in the times that are fit for us. Hmm. I'm unashamedly a a nine o'clock in the morning, get out of bed person, unless a client has booked a nine o'clock meeting with me, in which case I'll I'll get up at 10 tonight. No, half eight, quarter past eight. Yeah, five to. Yeah. Um, But I've I've learned over the years that the more time I have, the more I pad out with stuff that is maybe – procrastination or, or not focused so if i yep. if i squeeze my day from nine till four o'clock or something 
and have a break at lunchtime. So I've got probably four or five good hours. I get four or five good hours. I don't need to spend 10 hours. I need to get up at five o'clock. This is, this is the way I work now. I, I, I know that if I constrain my time, I get more done because otherwise I'll just fill, I'll fill the time I've got. I don't become any more productive. It's like deadlines. I'll, I'll do, I do the thing I have to do to hit the deadline, not, not in advance of the deadline. Uh, that's but, but my brain won't achieve that though, unless either they are, um, able to be self-reflective to that level to understand that they are, they are the problem. Um, mm. or they employ somebody else to actually be honest and brutal and supportive with them to ask those questions and challenge. And, and that's why it's so important. And it's a, as you go through sort of the, the building a, a team around you, then we, we get to the point, whether they're coming from a mastermind group or they're coming from a self-appointed self-care or others, we get the, the better questions asked by these people who are sitting there outside of our mind's eye. And they, they are with respect, with support, with love, with challenge, um, ask, getting us to do more that, than we can on our own. Um, and that's that's the, the key part of it. And I sort of, I sort of splutting through that slightly because I, I know full well that for, from my perspective, uh, when I've got people around me um, and some, asking me better, putting me on the spot, um, then I, I step up as everybody does. Uh, but if we've got too much time available, then we fill it. And that's where the things like good old social media and whatever else, it, it's not bad social media by any means, but we, we need to know. Um, I, I, years ago, there was a thing called Rescue Time, which was an app that people could put on their phones and their, their computers. And there's, there's a thousand and one different ones nowadays, but they're, they're all there. And you just don't want to see at the end of the week the number of hours that's attached because it's a really, wow, that's scary. And you wonder why the next generations coming through are struggling with FOMO and all the other challenges attached to that, because they're just getting caught up in that incessant need for likes and touch points and everything else versus actually what what does a realistic um, achievement look like? And if I've got that right, then I've got people around me that are uh, holding me accountable for the things I say I'm going to do. And the next time I meet up with them, I will have done that. Because if I haven't done it, then uh, I'm going to look like a, uh, a muppet in front of them, which is disrespectful to them and um, and my time and their time. So I step up. And that that's why we need these people, these parties, to challenge us, provoke us, and uh, just include us in everything that's going on, but also stretch. And, and as a reason of being stretched, that makes us braver. We become braver. We have more fun along the way. Is the theory. And it's and it works I, yeah. in practice. I, I completely, I've, I'm bought into it. I, I, I've bought into everything you're saying. How do you nudge people into an orbit where they become self-aware? That, that surely that's the biggest barrier to people having great mental wealth, doing the things you're talking about is is finding that need to change or recognizing, having that epiphany. Go, if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm going to get the same results, and it's not what I want. Sometimes, you, how do you nudge them into that orbit where you say? I get it now, like you've just done with me. There are there are certain environments where it's a, it, we have that life-changing diagnosis that means that the smoker decides to give up smoking um, and uh, or somebody in the family uh, becomes critically ill or passes away because of something and you're doing the same thing. So, oh, really, it's in my DNA. I better stop. But those are, those are the, the epiphany moments that are out of our control. They come in and uh, we take steps and we change things. The reality check uh, around that is knowing what you do on a cumulative basis that's going to help you go forward. Uh, so a classic example I give you for me is, is my father was a short little fat guy. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. That's, that's who he was. So it's in my DNA to be the same way as he was. And at the age of about 14, I made a pact with my best mate that uh, we would never go the way of our fathers. My father was a short little fat guy. His father was huge in comparison. Um, and it was just that wheezing when they got to the top of the stairs because there was no fitness and there was no quality. Uh, their, their health and nutrition and alcohol and whatever else, uh, was, was, that was there. And it was in my DNA. Um, and so that, that was a light bulb moment for me. 
uh, at that point. And I know I was young for it, but I've also been very sporty. So it was, it, it, that was part of it. So it was, it's knowing those light bulb moments and seizing them. Um, and it, it's sort of it, rather than ignoring them. So uh, continuing the story of my father, he in the late 1950s and early 1960s, as a bachelor in Singapore, um, he, he partied hard, shall we say, and had a lot of fun involved in the cricket club out there. His best mate moved to Bangkok um, and set up a, a container ship business from Bangkok. My father moved back to the UK in 64, something like that, 65, met my mother. Eight weeks later, they were engaged. My sister and I came along. Um, in, in 1999, my father sent his friend a Christmas card saying, Mike is moving to Australia, uh, just letting you know. This chap picked up the phone and rang my father. Um, I, I know this, this sounds rambly, but just, just bear with me on this. Uh, and um, I said, you should tell Mike when he gets to Australia to meet up with my friend Newton. We did some land deals in the 1970s. He's a top bloke. If he can help Mike in any way, I'm sure he will. There you go. So I turned up in Australia, wife, baby, rucksack, no car, no job, no house. Spent a little bit of time getting to know my wife and daughter because I'd been in the corporate world. So we, we know what that means as far as working hours and so on. Uh, I then turned up at Newton's door. He was in this palatial house in the middle of the smartest area of Perth. Uh, Answer the door, this little old guy came to the door and said, hi, I'm Newton. Come on in, mate. I'm feeling a bit crook today. Just had my first dose of chemo. But in you come. Let's have a chat and see what we can do. Long story short, he was considering investing in a new dot-com business that was about to go live that had no uh, commercial skills with the directors that were running it. They had great ideas, but no commerciality. So I got plugged into that. So he didn't invest in them. I got plugged in and I took golden handcuffs and a pocket money salary because it was a startup dot-com business. I moved back to the UK three years later. As a result of that, I then set up my business, which has evolved to what it is now 20 years on, uh, which is all to do with performance coaching support and uh, the, the world of mental wealth, as we've been discussing. Three months after I met Newton, he was dead. So I had the narrowest of windows to make the contact with this person, and I could have easily missed it. If I'd gone six weeks later, he might have been too poorly to take the call. I do not know. Um, uh, but that narrowest of windows, that connection going back 30-odd years, 35 years prior to that, where my father was uh, uh, partying and so on, that guy changed my life. He doesn't know it. He has no idea about it. But the power of that network and seizing these little opportunities that come along, many of them turn into nothing. But as a result of a Christmas card, you should tell your lad, Mike, to hook up with my mate, Newton. We did some land grabs in the 1970s, and that categorically changed it. So that comes back to your original question there about how, how do we get somebody to step up? How do we challenge if they're not looking for it? it the opportunities are around us. We just have to have, sometimes we need them pointed out. And then if they're pointed out, we then need to be held accountable by an external party that we respect and we will do as we say to. Uh, and then as a result of that, that network can generate all sorts that can, as I say, change your life forever. Yeah, I concur. And I suppose I've, I've been through several evolutions of my life a couple of at least a couple of evolutions of my life one with my gender my career change and I think this time round I was more aware of those butterfly moments you know that flapping of the wing altering your trajectory so as you say that contact that person I, I can trace back almost to the person this person put me in contact with somebody put me in contact with somebody that one conversation is put me where I'm sat today. Without that person, the trajectory would have been completely different. I'm not saying it would have been worse or better or anything. I just know sliding that, doors. that that sliding door has put me here in this seat today because I met one person for coffee in a cafe in Richmond and he said, just tell me how I can help you. So the person who introduced me to that person created opportunity that I could never have foreseen. I had to do something with the opportunity. I had to make it happen. They didn't give me anything. Mm. They just said, how can I help? But I asked. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's, it's incredible 
it's being I, I guess i guess the key message really is to be open and aware when those situations occur and be open enough to be receptive when someone says to you have a chat or let's have a talk and be curious be be that growth mindset isn't it yes constantly curious it's actually a newsletter i've written recently yeah that whole thing if we're constantly curious then we can actually sort of unlock other opportunities and you you never know what's coming and this is all to do with choices not Mm. making a decision is a choice to accept the status quo so making a choice to do something differently is is a choice not making Mm. a decision is a choice we have those choices and we make them the whole time and when, quite often when it goes wrong or when we've got a negative mindset or whatever else, we, we blame situations on everything else outside. But actually, some not always, but a lot of the time, it's, a, it's the, a choice that we've made or a choice that we to, make, to not make a decision that has then evolved into the circumstances that we're now in. Yeah, I, I, I've talked about something this the other day. It might have been on a previous podcast. I, I talked about green man navigation. Uh, when I was in uh, LA ooh, 25, 30 years ago, we didn't know where we were going to go for lunch. We just thought we were, were indecisive. So I said, well, look, we get to a cross, crosswalk um, and we just go whichever whichever way has got the green man, we're going to go across the road there. Next next time we get to a cross intersection, we're going to go green man, green man, green man, never turning on, never going on a red man. And we just found ourselves snaking through downtown LA until we went, oh, there's a restaurant. That'll do. There we go. We went in and had something to eat. It was absolutely a dive. It was called um, Lotta Burger. <laughs> it was greasy. It was horrible. It was it was absolutely <laughs> disgusting. But I remember that afternoon where, where we're out of indecision, came a plan, and that plan led us to somewhere. Okay, I'm not saying it's the perfect outcome, but we had an outcome. And we, we always talk about this green man navigation. Just take the opportunities as they come, see where it takes you, and be brave it's enough. Good. Yeah. And it's generated a story for you there that you reflect on it. And mm. there's a, somebody in one of my mastermind groups uh, uh, used to be quite a, a good runner back in the day, uh, cross country and so on, and, and did well into his 20s, but then stopped running entirely. And then through lockdowns, he started running again. Um, and uh, one of the things he actually started to do was uh, instead of having a running route and just being very diligent, whatever else, he would just run. And he could be out for 40 minutes. He could be out for two hours, 40 minutes, depending on what it was. I'm going to turn right at that tree. I have no idea where it will take me. And this was all cross country, fell all over the place. In theory, looping back to where he lived. But it was just opened his eyes to the whole love of that sport again, which he totally left behind and was no longer enjoying. And I think that's part of this, this control freakery that we always have and the choices we do and do not make. Um, when we have people around us helping us make those decisions and helping us make those choices better, then 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 it works because the, the 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 issue of isolation is it I believe it kills creativity and prevents decision making. So when we deal with isolation by building support teams, this mental wealth team, our our network around us, then we are able to make those decisions. And even when things go wrong as they still will go wrong, we can bounce back more effectively because we've got good people around us that help us and give us a hand up when we need it. And on that note, wow, it's been a fantastic hour. I can't believe we've been rabbiting on and hopefully you, the listener, have enjoyed it as well. I mean, we've been talking now for the best part of an hour and a half, including the green room chat beforehand. So, Mike, amazing. I love the concept of mental wealth. You've, you've, you've opened up things in my mind that I, I probably had locked away, hadn't thought about, but you've, you've given them some context. So how can, we, how, how can people get in contact with you? What's the best way? Uh, simplest way, I'll give you, I'll give you two mediums. Um, uh, one is straight through the website, mikepagan.com. Uh, so that's good old religious surname, mikepagan.com. Uh, or the other one is if find me on LinkedIn. Um, and if you do look me up on LinkedIn, please say where you've, you've, you've heard and connected from, because that way I'll know the conversation and everything else and I can really hook into you. Uh, but, yeah, that, those are the two areas I work on. And, and going back to that whole thing of where we spend time, energy and effort on the things that matter, I, I don't do loads of other social media because I don't want to do them badly, and I would. So I focus and stick to a couple of key areas because uh, that way they're done consistently and they're done well. And people can have conversations and we can talk about books. We can talk about everything else that's out there. But it's 
it's the, set up the conversation in the first place through the right mediums. Fantastic. And do you want to finally talk about your monthly challenge booklet? Oh, yes, yes. Um, so uh, I, I always like to sort of finish these um, interview discussions with a couple of things. So, so uh, firstly, uh, on a monthly basis, there are different things that we can do. Um, and, and I've done this for years in my sports and so on. Um, and I realise that sports activities isn't for everybody. So I'm not here to preach as somebody that you've all got to go out and buy a leotard and start doing fitness stuff. Um However, there are different activities we can do, and it's, it's part of that cumulative effect. Uh, and so there's a booklet that I have that if you drop me a, a message across, I can send that through to you directly. Uh, but it, it, in there, it's just talking about different challenges that will work, and some will feel slightly more extreme than others, depending on where you are on that focus. But, but on a month-by-month basis, by cumulatively doing more activities, this is going to strengthen our self-care. And as we look after ourselves better, then we become stronger and fitter and wiser and, and more capable. Um, if we're not investing in our personal development, you're listening to this podcast. You are clearly investing and serious about your development and how you can work further. So th- this is where it comes through. So uh, that it's, it's a simple little booklet I send across. And, the, and the, the final call to action, I would say as well, is if you recall that story I said about my friend ringing from America at the right time, at the right place, at the right hour. My challenge goes out to all of you. If your gut feel is saying that I need to talk to somebody or I haven't spoken to somebody for a period of time, do not tweet them. Do not text them. Do not stroke them or like anything they've said. Pick up the phone and ring them. If you live close enough, go round and see them. You do not know what is going on inside somebody else's world or inside their mind or inside their situations at the moment. That phone call could be a breath of fresh air out of the blue, which is just the tonic we need. We can achieve so much more if we've got good people around us doing good things more of the time. And there are some very, very good people out there. But it's our job as good humans to just pick up the phone, reach out and be that little bit of special for somebody else. You do not know what you might be uncovering and helping. And they know that they're loved, liked and supported, which can open up all sorts of doors for them. So please. Pick up the phone, have a chat. Thank you, Mike. Amazing. And a huge thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in and getting this far. Really appreciate it. Please make, make contact with Mike. He'd love to hear from you. Also, keep do subscribe uh, to keep updates on future episodes of the Inclusion Bites podcast, B-I-T-E-S. Tell your friends, tell your colleagues. I've got some amazing content on this, on this, on this pod. So please, please share the love with other people. I've also got a number of other exciting guests. Uh, can you believe it? I've got more exciting guests lined up that I'm sure you'll be equally inspired by over the next few weeks and months. And of course, if you're an ins- a potentially inspiring guest and you'd like to be on the show, I'd love to have a conversation and get you on. And, and as always, if you've got any comments or suggestions on how I can improve, then please do email me to joe.lockwood at uk. And finally, my name is Joanne Lockwood. It's been an absolute pleasure to host this podcast for you today. Catch you next time. Bye.